So a really interesting story, at least in my mind, people want to think about overnight successes. Guess what? In like 2015, 2016, even into 2017, we never went to bed at night without answering every single email. But we're not content. We're always thinking more of the long term. We're thinking, well, hey, where are we going to be three to five years from now? And the answer to that is just probably not these digital templates which is actually really interesting. This is a note that I wrote down because I think it's important to talk about the idea of... It's so awesome because everything that I was doing was digital. I'm like, I don't need to be here. I can work anywhere in the world. I used to go to bodybuilding.com and their forums way back in the day. Totally. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. Uh -huh. Yeah, I'm one of those guys. That's okay. Hey everybody, this is Nick Shaw. I am 31 years old and I run Renaissance Periodization, uh, more commonly known as RP Strength Online. We are a diet and training company, so we produce online diet and training programs. And more recently, we have switched to becoming more of a software company and we are creating a diet app. So the app is a diet coach in your pocket, basically. If you need to know how much, when, what to eat to reach specific goals, whether you want to lose fat, gain muscle, improve your sport performance, that is what the RP Diet app is set up to do. And basically has taken all of our collective work from the past five or six years and put everything into an app. And we are super excited for that. And this was most recently just released in about April. So that's where we're at. And where are you located? I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and ironically, I lived in New York City for about six years before that, but I'm actually in New York City today while we're doing this. Okay. What are you in New York City for today? Just a little kind of work vacation, I guess, so to speak. So just up here for a few days, so a few meetings and stuff like that. I've only been back, I think, a couple of times in the four or five years since I left the city, but it's always good to be back. So yeah, when you go to meet these people on that, what are you meaning about as a vendor? I'm just curious. It's funny that you happen to be back there. I thought you were originally old. I just usually use a LinkedIn. It says New York, New York. But yeah, just curious what you get done on these type of business trips. It's kind of a part vacation, part business trip. So just kind of a meet and greet. So a buddy that I know, he's a personal trainer in the city, knows some people. So we went to a little dinner event on Monday, basically just looking for people that produce content in the health and wellness space. And that's what our company does really well. We have like 20 PhDs, six registered dietitians as coaches on staff. So really anything in the fitness sector, health, wellness, losing weight, gaining weight, eating for performance, all that good stuff. We have experts in the space that can help you all that. I guess you just brushed on it. I was going to ask, how big is your company and how much did you all do in revenue last year? This is actually really interesting. So I was just talking to someone yesterday, kind of coming up with it. I think we have about 26 coaches and that goes along with myself and my wife. And then we have couple other full-time people in terms of customer service. We have about four to six part-time customer service people. All in total, we're looking at about 40 or so people kind of uh, through various things. A lot of them are consultants, 1099s. Uh, those are most of our coaches because a lot of them also have full-time jobs, whether they're professors, researchers. We have one doctor on staff. They kind of do some of that stuff and then they consult with us working with a lot of our clients. It's a really good mix. Grown pretty fast since really the company started. It was just me and my buddy, Dr. Mike Isertel, writing training programs for close friends and family, things like that. And now kind of just looking back, you know, we have a team of about 40 people. So it's pretty cool. We've been sort of over the million dollar hump for about five years in a row now. So that's really cool. 2015 was the first year and 
seen some pretty good growth. And this year's a little bit of a transition year because kind of getting away from our basically diet templates, which have been our most popular product. They're just kind of like a one-time purchase of about $100 of their PDF. And we're sort of transitioning into this model of the subscription model with the app. It's really interesting, really exciting. And yeah, that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah, you said it gets 40 people kind of part-time. Imagine a few are full-time or whatever. But as far as clients, how many customers you end up helping? Can you give us some numbers around that? Yeah, sure. In terms of actual like one-on-one diet coaching clients, so this is kind of part of the natural evolution of RP and how we've kind of evolved from where I was as a trainer in New York City six, seven years ago to where we're at now. It's all part of the scaling up process and kind of realized that we can only do so much work if there's only a couple of people doing one-on-one stuff. And that led us down the track to producing more digital content, whether it's eBooks, and then ultimately it led into our diet templates. At any given time, we probably have let's say a couple thousand clients doing like one-on-one coaching. But the real thing that kind of led to our explosive growth a little bit was the digital products. And if you're only one person doing one-on-one coaching, let's say you have a hundred clients or so, and that's quite a few for any one individual. And what we realized was, well, let's kind of take that process that we would do, you know, hey, we'll walk through somebody a three-month diet. They want to lose 10, 15 pounds. That costs like five or $600 roughly. And we created this diet template that was about a hundred dollars. And it's all sort of designed up front and the user goes to our website, customizes a few things, basically know their gender, their weight, their goal, if they want to lose weight, gain weight, stuff like that. So we sold those and all of a sudden our reach grew sort of exponentially. So we went from maybe a couple hundred clients to a thousand or two to the templates have helped hundreds of thousands of people worldwide. They seem kind of like two different skill sets as far as if you're a trainer and you're going in meeting these people, I would imagine even a trainer only having maybe like 50 clients or so. I mean, that would seem like a lot to me. But then to make it an online digital product, kind of like you were saying, seems like a total different mindset. How do you get your arms around this and want to end up doing this? Because again, just doing something totally different, it kind of seems, I mean, obviously it's all within the same space, but you got to start thinking differently in order to start this type of company. Totally. Again, ironically, I'm in New York City right now, but it all started when I was in New York City and we were just training people one-on-one and I had to travel all over the city, going uptown, downtown, across town, all this crazy stuff, working with clients one-on-one. And it was pretty quickly kind of realized, hey, this isn't the best use of my time. Let's say you charge $100 an hour, but you have to travel 20, 30 minutes downtown. You got to walk for a few minutes to the gym, have to pay the gym, you know, X number of dollars to use their space to train your client. Then you have to go back uptown. You have to walk back to the subway. You have to take the subway up, back up to a different client. Let's say you can have five, six, eight clients or so max, whether it's $800 a day or something like that. If you're $100 an hour, eight clients, but that eight clients takes 10 to 12 hours because you're traveling all over the city. So I quickly realized, hey, this is just not the best use of my time and I need to figure out a different way to do this. And at the same time, my buddy who had been in the city with me starting his PhD at East Tennessee State University, and he was working with a lot of clients online. And he couldn't sort of keep up with that demand because he was going to school to get his PhD. And he's like, well, hey, you know this stuff as well as I do. Why don't you start taking some of my clients and we'll sort of create a business? And so that was really the start of it. But at the same time, it was this eye-opening experience because instead of eight clients a day at $100 an hour, all of a sudden you can take several of those hours, stay at home, not have to travel all over the city, and you can help two to three times the number of people via online coaching. And so that was this basically breakthrough in my mind saying, well, that's a lot more scalable. That's where the direction of the business needs to head. And so that's where we did start to head. And then after that, even getting into the online coaching is sort of the same model. If you're one coach, let's say you have 100 clients now instead of 
in-person trainer, maybe that number is like 20 or 30 or whatever it is, 50, like you said, that's a crazy number of clients to have in person. Maybe you double that doing online. But even then, we sort of realized that our time was going to be better spent figuring out a way to scale that process even further. And so that led us down the track of doing the digital products, whether they're eBooks, and then ultimately the diet templates, and then even more recently, the diet app. So it's just kind of natural evolution from in-person training to one-on-one diet coaching online, slash even some training online to digital products, and then ultimately to the app. So it's been a really cool evolution over the years. And here we are with the app, which can reach in the app stores, ultimately hundreds of thousands, millions of people. That sounds like a perfect transition for you. If your buddy's going back to school, he kind of has his online business and then that you can kind of work with him and try to figure this out. Even at the time, were you calling it Renaissance periodization? Yeah, yeah. You know, a long name. A lot of people are like, well, what the heck does that mean or whatever? So yeah, I agree. That's what I was going to ask about next. Yeah, totally. And that's one of these things as we start to get a little bit more mainstream, companies kind of change their names or just shorten it, right? Yeah. RP Fitness does sound much easier. Is that what kind of the name you use now? Yeah, we just go by RP Strength. Yeah, that's like our main Instagram handle. And Instagram has been a great thing for us because the fitness space is just so well suited for fitness and kind of showing client results and losing X amount of weight or, you know, gaining weight or improving your performance in the gym, all that good stuff. So yeah, everyone just kind of knows us as RP strength because that's our Instagram handle. So that's one of those things where Renaissance periodization is a mouthful, but it also has a pretty cool story behind it because there's a hedge fund here in Long Island called Renaissance Technologies. And so what they do is instead of hiring brokers and things like that, they hire mathematicians, PhDs and all that. And so that's kind of the model that we wanted to have at RP was instead of just having trainers that might look to parts or, you know, they just have a six pack abs, but they don't have any qualifications or education. Again, almost all of our coaches have PhDs or they're also competitive athletes themselves which really stands out in the fitness space because I don't know how much you know about the fitness space, but there's just so many people trying to do their own thing and everyone's their own diet coach or online trainer or all that. And so this is just a really good way for us to stand out in an already crowded market. And it's the idea of we don't want someone that might just look the part. Well, you have to kind of look the part, but also you have to walk the walk and talk the talk, combining the education and sort of the real world experience. I'm always skeptical of anything. I think it's not my fault. I do think it's just certain industries that you start hearing about, like fitness being one of them. I recently interviewed a guy who was doing Amazon FBA, where you can sell stuff on Amazon. And that whole market too is like, dude, there's so many sketchy stuff in there that it almost brings down the whole industry. And the same thing can happen with fitness. But we did our research and we came across through you through like one of your, it was on Forbes, I believe that they wrote an article about you. Uh So yeah, we reached out that way. But yeah, it's hard. You got to really do your research for some of those people because I'm sure you see it every day of all the stuff that you have to deal with just being in industry, right? Totally, man. It's so crazy because anyone, and again, they don't have to have any qualifications. There's no monitoring really in the space. And so you just have to be really careful. And so I actually think it's a really good thing that you are skeptical because that's sort of my natural approach to when I hear things is I'm going to be skeptical. I'm going to try to critically examine it and be like, well, does this person like, yeah, they looked apart, but it's usually something where you look at a person and you say, okay, well, they looked apart, let's say, but have they also coached other people that maybe did not have the best genetics or something and have gotten really good results, right? So if someone just naturally has really good genetics, that may not mean that they really know what they're doing. It's almost like some people are successful in spite of what they do. And so you really have to kind of sit down and think about it. But yeah, that's kind of something that we've always wanted to do. Again, it goes back to our days working out at random gyms here in New York City. We'd see these people just blessed with amazing genetics. And we would kind of look and be like, well, what they're doing really doesn't make any sense. 
And so our thought process was, imagine you have these people with crazy genetics, and they also start using an evidence-based scientific approach to diet and training. Like, How much better could their results be? And again, a lot of people don't think that because they are getting results or they're very naturally gifted. So they don't really care. They can do whatever they want. So they're good results. It's really combining the two. And it's like, you want to compete at the highest of levels, take the Olympics or something like that. You need to be genetically gifted, but also you need that science-based approach where you're really going above and beyond to try to figure out what actually works the best. So yeah, I want to go back to kind of how you got started and whatnot. I think we've got a, at least a basic understanding of your business, but I'm just curious, why did you actually want to do the interview here? It's really interesting for me because when we started RP, it wasn't really something that we thought was necessarily going to take off. It was just something that we were really passionate about, just something that we really liked doing. We liked diet and training, really anything related to that. We liked helping people. For me, it's like, well, how can I sort of share this experience where we took something we were really passionate about and sort of figured it out along the way? I think a lot of people start out with the mindset that they have to have everything figured out years in advance when they get started. That's not necessarily always the case, right? So read a lot about different entrepreneurs and things like that. A lot of people make a lot of mistakes along the way, but it's how quickly can you recognize them? How can you quickly solve them? And how quickly can you adapt and change? And so I think our story is really unique in that we have this natural evolution process along the way. Of course, we've made a lot of mistakes. Everyone does. And so we've been able to be like, well, hey, here's what works. Here's what doesn't work. And how can we correct that pivot along the way, basically, to make sure we're headed on the right track and be almost easy for us selling these digital products, these ebooks and templates to just kind of be content. But we're not content. We're always thinking more of the long term. We're thinking, well, hey, where are we going to be three to five years from now? And the answer to that is just probably not these digital templates. A really good analogy that our customer service rep made, and I thought it was just absolutely brilliant, is kind of comparing our situation right now when GPS first came out. So naturally, you probably have a lot of people that want to stick with using a map. So well, the maps have always been around. So it's just what people are used to. Whereas now this new technology, GPS has come out and it seems really cool, but maybe there's some little bumps along the way, some glitches. But in the long run, technology is going to win out. So that's kind of a good analogy for where we're at. We're kind of evolving from these PDF files that work great, no doubt about it. And almost a little bit scary to move away from that because they're so proven. They've been around for four plus years now to this new technology that, yeah, there's going to be some bumps along the way. That's just the way software works, which is really interesting sidetrack going down the software development front, just how long everything takes. But again, it's just kind of an interesting analogy. And I think now almost no one uses maps, right? Like, do you ever use a map anymore? I most certainly don't. I'm always using GPS. I'm always using my phone, pulling up you know, Google Maps or whatever. In the long run, technology is going to win out. So for us, it's a cool story of kind of hopping on that same track because everyone's using app nowadays. If you run your own business, you're used to doing it all. But if you're struggling to get through your to-do list, well, HoneyBook can help. When you started your business, did you dream about all those admin tasks? like drafting proposals and contracts, and tracking down payments? If that wasn't part of your vision, you need HoneyBook. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that organizes your client communications, bookings, contracts, and invoices. And it's all in one place. HoneyBook makes it simple to run your business better. Professional templates, e-signatures, and built-in automation keeps everything on track and makes you look good. They can even consolidate services you already use, like QuickBooks, Google Suite, Excel, and MailChimp, or even Gmail. It's the number one choice for client and business management for freelancers and business owners. 
Save time and do more of what you love with HoneyBook. And right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off when you visit honeybook.com forward slash millionaire. Payment is flexible and the promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. So go to honeybook.com slash millionaire for 50% off your first year. That's honeybook.com forward slash millionaire. Hopefully that helps. I feel like I came at least a little bit more helpful at the end there. No, I, I do. I think it helps. And like I said, it's like going to see a psychiatrist talking about your problems in life. You're like, we're talking with you about our <laughs> problems in business and startups. So, I mean, when we vocalize it, we talk, something else will enter our brains and, and we're like, okay, yeah, there it is. Nice. Well, I appreciate it, Dr. Rock. I get you. I mean, even if you want to take the GPS thing a little bit further, I guess everyone was getting the GPS things for their car, but I could even tell that eventually people, it's just going to go to your phone. So it's kind of ways to go by the Garmin, even though it's like a five-year kind of thing. But again, as technology over time gets better, it's obviously going to happen. It's just like this podcast 10, 15 years ago. I think podcasting maybe even started 20 years ago or so, but that was when there was maybe five or 10 podcasts. So over time, it's going to win out over FM and AM radio because it just makes more sense. It's digital. People can get it wherever they want, whenever they want. So it's just easier versus like you're saying, you could still use your PDFs. And I imagine if I wanted a PDF, I'd probably want to print it out if I'm paying as much as I'm paying for the templates here. But now there's less people using paper and all that. And it's easier on the app where you can have it right there. Again, I don't know exactly every guide what it has in there, but if you're talking about eating or diets or whatever, you could easily just pull up on your phone if you're eating lunch versus carrying around some paper or whatever plan you were purchased from y'all, right? Yeah, man, you nailed it. That's exactly right. So again, there's almost always this segment that sort of is a little hesitant. They resist change, but inevitably, again, it's our job to just keep making the app so much better than our paper templates that everyone just kind of naturally gravitates towards that. Like everyone uses... GPS on their phone now. It's like, well, over time, we're going to make this app so dang good that you know everyone's going to want to use it. And again, it goes to the subscription model versus one-time thing, which is really interesting. A really good book that I just read recently is The Automatic Customer and just kind of reiterates that most companies, if you can figure out a way to have subscription revenue model, then there's almost no good reason not to because it's just so beneficial. I guess you went to University of Michigan and when you came out in 2010-ish, did you think you were going to automatically get in here as far as the fitness space? Do you want to go ahead and just jump to the beginning? I know, again, you talked about how you kind of took it over when your buddy went to college and everything, but why don't we just start keeping it chronological and find out year by year all the gains and mistakes you made so we can learn from them? Yeah. you know, It all goes back to the University of Michigan. That's where I met my buddy. He started RP with me. Just We randomly met in the University of Michigan student gym. I was about to say, but you better have met in the gym. Oh, man, no. That's... Even if you didn't, well, y'all just lifted. Did he ask you to spot him or something? More or less. Again, I don't know, you know how much the listeners may relate to this, but if you're into lifting and you're in the gym and you see someone else that sort of demands respect, they're doing things the right way, they look really impressive, there's almost this just sort of natural draw between people like that that are serious. And that's exactly what happened. It's just kind of one of those mutual nods of like respect back and forth. And then just over time, you keep seeing them in the gym and you just start chatting with them. Oh, hey, you know, how'd you get started? And so really, man, that was like 2008. So here we are 11 years ago. That's when we first met. And he convinced me to start training with him. I did. And man, the rest is history. That's truly how RP got started. Just super organic. We both moved out to New York City after we graduated to become personal trainers. We worked at the same gym. He stayed for a year and then he went back to school to get his PhD. He already had his master's. 
in his undergrad. And so I was finishing my undergrad the same time he was finishing his master's. So he was two years ahead of me. And that's how it really all started. And honestly, it was just him and I writing diet and training programs for close friends and family along the way at the start. And then it's just one of those things where we learn this just isn't scalable. So how do we do it? How do we improve? And at the time, Facebook was really just kind of taking off. And so we leveraged that to post before and afters, use success stories. And because of the natural sort of organic growth of social media at the time, I don't want to say we were necessarily lucky because we had a pretty good idea that that would work really well. But also, I think we had pretty good timing when we got into this space because now there's so much fitness stuff out there. But we were, I don't want to say one of the first ones, but we were probably one of the earlier movers in the space using social media to really promote fitness and diet. So what year do you like officially start so we can start keeping track of how you did year one, year two, et cetera? So we're coming up on about seven years now. It was probably about August of 2012. So yeah, probably seven years coming up here next month. But the revenue year on one was just like super low, just diet and training programs for close friends and families, probably about $100 a month. And then it sort of grew from there. We had to recruit some more people because we were getting more and more clients where we couldn't keep up with it. And that's just where the idea of the scaling process came in. So 2012, probably next to nothing. 2013 started to grow. In 2012 too, were you still doing your training around New York? So you're at least, yeah. even though you kicked off your business that year, you probably weren't putting in too many hours, right? Yeah, totally. It was one of those things where, you know, let's say at that time, it was probably 80% in person, 20% online. And then as 2013 started to shift, I started to see that shift. Maybe it was more like a 50-50 type thing. And then I would say probably in like 2014 or so is when that shift started to go from maybe 50-50. So now it was 20% in person, 80% online. So at the tail end of 2014, we released our first ever ebook. And then all of a sudden, it sells like a few thousand copies in like the first couple of weeks. Yeah. Can we go over that for a bit? I'm surprised you're able to even sell that much right then. I mean, did you have a mailing list or whatever? Tell us a little bit more because I can imagine there's some people listening now who have some ideas that uh-huh. maybe ebooks in the future won't be the thing, but let's just take your ebook example where they have some knowledge and they want to share it, but then they don't know how to. Doesn't seem like you had a background in that. Obviously, your background's like strength training and whatnot, but what suggestions do you have? And just walk us through of how you're able to even get that many sales when you're kicking it off. Yeah, no, that's a great story too. Strategic partnerships. So we were new to the scene, but we knew that we had a lot of good content to share. So obviously, I kind of went around to, you know, hey, who are some of the leaders in the space? And I reached out to a guy and was like, hey, here's this article that you wrote. We disagree 100% with it. Can my colleague write a counter article to that? And he did. And the article went over really, really well. And so there was a website called uh, Juggernaut Training System. So in our space, they were really popular at the time. I mean, they still are, actually. And so the owner of that has actually become a really good friend over time. His name's Chad Wesley Smith, really big dude. And you know, all that stuff's a really good guy. But yeah, he was kind of the first one to take a chance on us, more or less. And so that's actually where we ended up selling our first ebook. So we didn't even sell it on our own website. We sold it on his site, which had a lot more traffic. And we just did a profit share with him. So what was your percentage of doing a profit share so we can get an idea of how we should approach that? Because that's a good idea, obviously, especially if you've got someone in the space who has all the customers, you're just trying to get in front of them. Yeah. So I want to say he took about 30, 35%. We got the rest. So it was actually pretty favorable for us. But at the same time, I think kind of realized that we were probably onto something. And so again, he took a risk, of course, could have totally bombed out. And he was selling a bunch of other eBooks at the time and his own digital stuff on his site. So for us, it was like a no brainer. We probably would have jumped on it if it was 50-50 because it was just to get our name out there. 
And obviously it ended up doing pretty well and we made a decent amount of money from it. But yeah, that's just really how we got started. And it's really just that whole idea of strategic partnerships and kind of reaching out to people and trying to set yourself up so you get your idea or products out there in front of the greatest number of people. And we knew what we had worked. We knew had a good backing to it. Everything was evidence-based. So it was really just like, well, how do we reach more people? What do we do? And so that really set the stage for us. And it's funny, we didn't even sell it on our own website. Honestly, I think at that point, we didn't even have a payment structure set up on our website. I think people would just pay us money. And again, this goes back to the idea that we didn't have any funding behind us. Everything's been bootstrapped along the way. We still have never had any outside funding, which is, I think, a little bit unique. So even with the creation of our app recently, you know, everything's been self-funded. The app's already profitable as well. So like we're actually on a really good track where we haven't had to go down that route to seeking out VCs and different things like that. So again, this whole idea of getting bootstrapped, just super low cost, keeping everything super simple. And then of course, over time, you know, we added payments to our own site, started accepting all that, selling stuff on our own site in terms of digital products. And yeah, it's just sort of continually evolved from there to more and more products. And we have probably 30, 40 different products or something on our website now. So that's quite the offering. And I guess if someone's listening on their phone, why don't you just tell them what the name of the app so they could install it if they want to take a look while they're listening to the rest of the episode? Yeah, totally. It's called RP Diet. So it's in Apple and Google. So it's available on both. And it's really cool because I think what's interesting for our approach is we've already built this pretty established following and had all these great results. So we have an online Facebook group that has almost 100,000 members and that's just our clients. So for us, it's just kind of like, well, let's take all this critique that we've learned about our templates over the years. Let's take all that feedback. Let's improve it. Let's build it into a digital app, make it this lower cost per month. Again, there's a two-week free trial. There's no reason not to try it. And we just start getting all this great data, all these great success stories, and it's going to naturally build upon itself. Does diet have a negative connotation? Maybe. So I think some people automatically think when they hear diet, they think that you have to diet to lose weight. And so for us, it's kind of like the idea of, well, diet doesn't necessarily mean you have to restrict yourself. A diet could mean you're eating to gain weight. Let's say you want to put on some muscle or something like that. We have a diet for that. You want to just maintain your weight, but you want to focus on maybe performing a little bit better in your sport or something like that. We have a diet for that. So yeah, I think there's definitely a connotation to it that some people could view it negatively. But again, we're hopefully trying to help break that stereotype a little bit and make, well, diet doesn't mean just restricting yourself or going to the extremes. It's uh, more of like a slow, sustainable method to losing weight. So it's not, hey, I need to lose 15, 20 pounds. Let's do it as fast as possible. That's not what we're after. It's like, hey, you want to lose 10, 15, 20 pounds. Let's lose one to two pounds a week, slow, steady, sustainable approach to it and be a bit more balanced along the way. So you don't have to cut out entire food groups or entire macronutrients. It's like everything should be a little bit more methodical. It's going to lead to better long-term success. Yeah, I was just curious. Obviously, you're in the space because I know you said RP Strength is what you're on Instagram and then you know RP Diet's the name of the app. So I didn't know if you're just doing going to have different apps for each one. Again, I guess trying to get your name around if you're going to rebrand or whatever, just trying to understand that whole concept because your templates online are there for dieting, not only dieting, they're for other things as well, right? Yeah, we have diet templates, we have training templates. And again, the training templates are sort of for like different areas of focus. We're the official dietitians of USA Weightlifting and USA Powerlifting. And so those are for the outsider, right? You just kind of naturally think all that stuff's the same. Oh, it's just lifting. It's probably all the same. But you know, when you get into those crowds, like there's such a big difference to them that, right, you have to try to specify. So we have different products for different types of groups or small niche, but it's really kind of capitalizing on that. And probably our biggest demographic is 
the sport of CrossFit. And CrossFit is really great because, again, I don't know how much you know about CrossFit, but in any given gym, there's 100 to 200 members, but maybe 10% of those people are sort of competitive. In the rest, when they look up to those competitive people, those are the influencers, so to speak, in the gym. But everyone wants to lose fat. They want to gain a little bit muscle. They want to perform a little bit better. And so if you're able to get those people at the gym that care about performance, you get those first. And naturally, the people that look up to them in the gym are going to kind of follow what they're doing. Or you get the owner on board to go along with your program, get good results. And it's very quickly, it's like a good virus within the gym. It's going to quickly spread because people see results and that's what they want. And really, at the end of the day, that's kind of what a lot of our growth has been predicated on. It's just getting people results. And then naturally, people are going to be attracted to that because they're going to say, hey, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. Like, what the heck happened? You look great now. And so then everything just spreads very easily via word of mouth. So you don't have a lot of people like me coming in who are too strong and want to add some body fat? <laughs> no, not too many. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But jumping back into this story, it seems like most people, the regular person, right, is more interested in your dieting versus the training. I mean, yeah. could you break that up as far as percentage of revenue that comes in for that? Probably like 80, 20, something like that. Okay. Yeah, because it makes more sense. I mean, for the layman person or whatever, he just wants to add, a, lose a couple of pounds, add a couple, you know, versus the strength guys, the bigger dudes that you're saying. What's your size? I mean, normally I don't obviously ask this on podcasts, but since you're a strength dude and you said you're looking up to this other dude in the gym, it helps people better visualize your size. Yeah. So currently, so I'm about 5'9". I weigh about 210. Okay. What percentage body fat? Eh, like roughly 10%. Okay. I imagine the strength guys are more kind of like your size who are buying these strength plans who want to add a lot more muscles versus, again, trying to get more fit, easy physique look, right? Yeah, you know, it kind of depends, right? And that's the cool thing. Sort of no matter what your goals are, we have a program that'll help. It's not like just for one type of person. Right. Our whole idea was we started in this smaller niche, but at the same time, we get really well known there. And then it's a little bit easier to start branching out into a little bit more mainstream. Mainstream's a little bit hard to kind of break into because so many people out there want the quick fix. They want the fad. I want to lose 10 pounds. How do I do it in like three days? And you're like, okay, well, that's probably not the best way to go. And it's kind of trying to break down some of these barriers out there because there's so many people. Well, supply and demand, again, being the entrepreneur that I am, it's hard for me to get mad at these people that are selling this. BS stuff out there because people are demanding it, right? Right. So naturally, someone has to supply it. Someone's going to supply it. Part of me is like, okay, I can't get mad that this person's selling just stupid stuff. And I don't know if they know it or not, like whatever, maybe they think they're doing well. But yeah, no, it's just kind of funny to me because like, well, supply and demand, like capitalism, someone's going to do it. And I could see how your business would be much more easily, I guess, not susceptible to these you talked about yo-yo diets or maybe you didn't, or like yo-yo different type of fitness stuff. When I was in college, they were running around barefooted everywhere. I don't see anyone doing that anymore. Everyone does these little things. So if you're getting too in the mainstream doing all those, then I could see how you could have a business one year and then down the next year versus yours is more, I guess the people would come to your site or looking at your app or looking at your Instagram, it'd be a more sustainable kind of strength business versus again, whatever the new fad is, if you will. 100% man. So again, it's funny walking around New York City here the last couple of days with my wife. There's a different fitness thing on every other corner. And all this stuff is different when I was here four years ago and talking to some people that I know in the city. They're like, yeah, you know, same stuff happens. Something will pop up for like a year. It's the new hot trendy thing. And then a year or two, it's gone. And so again, we get a ton of people that it's almost like they've tried every single thing out there. They've tried every diet imaginable. And then they're like, they just get so frustrated, so ticked off with it because yeah, it's easy to lose a few pounds, but then you just start eating somewhat normally, you're going to gain it right back. We get so many people like that that come to us and they're like, okay, finally, like I just want something that works. 
And we're like, okay, well, you know, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> and they're like, wait, it's not like a quick fix. And we're like, no, we don't have magic. We don't sell magic. That's never been part of our philosophy. So if you want to talk about the importance of a company having sort of this core values and purpose, ours has always been bringing evidence-based approach to the mainstream, basically. And again, that's what we want to do. So stop doing all this bad stuff. Stop doing this and this. It's like, take the slow, steady approach, the tortoise and the hare, right? That's the age-old fable analogy, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Jumping back into your story about after you sold the first ebook, do you want to jump back in there and kind of tell us how you've grown the company since then? Again, just kind of talk about hiring or anything else about making this a real business instead of you running around New York and training everyone everywhere. Yeah, totally. So again, launch the ebook. It sells a couple thousand copies. It's like a brain, it's just this light bulb goes off in our head and we're like, and how much did you sell them for? The original price was $37. Of course, pre-sale or whatever is probably available for about 27 the first week. So again, in terms of like sales stuff, that's something I've learned over time, a little bit of scarcity. So you offer at a limited price for X number of days, and that usually gives people a pretty good reason to have a call to action to go ahead and purchase it. So I think that's pretty important. But we sold those, went really well. And again, we're thinking, how do we take this one-on-one coaching model and how do we create a product from it? What do we do? How do we do it? So again, I was like, we got to figure out some way to do it. So I go to my buddy, super smart guy, PhD, sport physiology. He's like, I think I have a pretty good idea. He's like, I'm going to create an Excel sheet. He's going to like, well, if you start a diet, we know you're going to start at this number of calories or whatever. And then if you sort of stall out your weight loss, well, we kind of already know what would be the first adjustment we make. What would be the second adjustment we make? What would be a third adjustment that you make? And so we built in these pre-built phases already for people. And again, it's almost embarrassing to look back thinking, man, we sold Excel files for about $100 a pop. They were not pretty whatsoever, but they worked and they worked very well. So again, we launched those in February of 2015, sold them for about $100 a pop, probably the first, again, when we released them, sold at a little bit of a discount. And then they really didn't start to take off until about two to three months later. And so my hypothesis is people were skeptical of what it was, rightfully so. I would be totally skeptical too. But again, a couple months later, people start using these templates, people start talking about them online on social media, and people start posting their before and afters. And then it started to really take off like wildfire. And I imagine too, if you're talking about 2015, because it seems like this is the first kind of sustainable year. So is that best if we kind of say that as your first year of like this business RP? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Your ebooks, I mean, I did the math. It sounded like you did over 100K mm-hmm. just in the sales there. I mean, the other guy got 30%. So between you and your buddy, that's 70,000, obviously. I mean, even kicking off, it seems like you did pretty well. And then you're going in doing these Excel templates. I imagine like you seem the type of guy or at least the strength stuff at first. I don't know if you're going into forums telling people about it because I know I used to go to bodybuilding.com and the forums way back in the day. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm one of those guys. That's okay. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. So I could see how you could easily like find the people who would buy that product in those forms. So you said it took a little results. So were the people seeing those in those forms and stuff? Tell us a little bit more about how you got this business started other than just selling the eBooks at first. Yeah. Our bread and butter was social media, Facebook and Instagram. Okay. Facebook has undergone a lot of changes since then. So it's definitely not the same as it was back then because we didn't have to really spend any advertising money early on. Because again, just the way all the algorithms work back then, you post something and a ton of your friends are going to share it or talk about it and comment it. And that's just going to be seen by a lot of people. Obviously, it's a lot different now. If you really want to do anything on Facebook, you got to put a lot of money behind it to you know boost your posts, all that stuff. But yeah, Instagram was really just starting to take off at the time. Instagram has been our bread and butter, just been amazing for us because of what we do in the fitness space. So again, we just really, really, really leveraged the power of social media 
And again, it's the whole idea of social proof. So we have to prove that it works. And we did. We've been super successful at proving that it works. It's actually really funny. Now, people don't ever question that our products work. Some of the critiques we get now are like, it works too well. I don't even know what that means, but <laughs> it's just kind of funny how it all works. Yeah. It's like, I'm too rich, you know? Yeah. Oh, hey, man, I wish I had that problem. <laughs> <Exactly. too. laughs> right. So 2015, how much would you say that y'all ended up making overall? Yeah. So that was the first year that we cracked the seven-figure mark. Yep. Okay. So were you pretty amazed by that going from the trainer? I mean, I'm not sure how much you were making as a trainer to doing that. So man, I never made six figures as a trainer. Right. Again, this goes back to the whole idea that my buddy and I started as a passion. Honestly, we've talked about it. We've joked about it. Like he thought he was just going to be a professor most of his life, making 50 to 100K and writing some diet and training programs for some high level athletes or something is like a side thing that he did for fun. Ironically, so he was a professor for a number of years, but he ended up resigning because it just wasn't worthwhile use of his time because he's stuck up in all these meetings at school that essentially waste your time basically because it's all sort of bureaucratic political stuff where you just have all these meetings that are you know pretty much just useless. They don't do anything. And so he's like, this is just the worst use of my time ever. He's like, why don't I just stop doing that and just create products, eBooks, writing the foundation of the app, all that stuff. And so he hasn't been a professor for a couple of years. But going back even to 2015, I mean, you didn't sound super excited. I mean, I thought that's pretty amazing in one year because the year before, how much did you do? Because again, you were just doing it kind of part-time and again, you're being trainer part-time as well. But this was basically your first full real year into it, 2015, and you made a million dollars? Yeah. So I mean, all in probably the year before, because October, November, December, we were selling eBooks. So we had about a quarter of the year. I think we had at the time one or two other coaches just besides us in 2014. So, I mean, we were like in the very, very low six figures in like 2014. So yeah, it was this pretty quick rise, which was really cool. We probably 10X'd it from 2014 to 2015. And it was because we sold digital products, which is actually really interesting. This is a note that I wrote down because I think it's important to talk about the idea of automation and scaling, how the two are very closely interrelated. At the beginning, when we were selling these templates, I would send every single one by hand via email. And so luckily... Thank goodness, someone that I knew was like, dude, you got to stop doing that. He's like, use this software. It's called Infusionsoft. So we still actually use it. It has its pros and cons, but it basically allowed us to automate the sending of all of these products, which was like a game changer. So instead of spending an hour or two a day where I had to send all this stuff, it was like, boom, now it's all automated. It's done within the span of five or 10 minutes. Now I have all this extra time to devote to social media or business development, thinking about strategic partnerships. And so that was just another game changer along the way. I'm kind of impressed even doing that because I think most people was like, they saw you in the gym or they just see a guy who's a pretty big dude. Imagine him just being a gym guy versus mm -hmm. coming in here, thinking of automation to actually scale this business. Where did you have your drive to like do this and become more than just quote unquote a trainer? Oh man, that's a really good question. Again, I'm sure you've heard this a million times on the podcast. I just think entrepreneurs, it's almost like I was an accidental entrepreneur my whole life because actually in college, I did this internship called College Works Painting. I had to go around and knock on doors and stuff and try to get my own business. And I was doing it in like rural Michigan, smaller towns. And all the people I was competing against were like in the suburbs around Detroit, Ann Arbor, all that stuff. They had just way more houses and all that stuff. And I actually ended up doing pretty well in it. So you know, looking back, to me, I was like an accidental entrepreneur because I didn't really like having my own boss. I like kind of doing my own thing. And it was really natural because the way we were treated at the gym where we started, it was just like a lesson to be learned. They treated the employees like crap. So I'm like, I don't want to be here. I need something else to do. And it was sort of this 
well, hey, I'm just going to join forces with my buddy. And you know, I don't care if it doesn't necessarily take off because I get the freedom to do what I want. And I don't have to travel all over the city. Like I'm not relying upon that. I'm relying upon different things. So yeah, man, I guess I've always had this internal drive. And I'm sure you've heard it a million times from different people you've had. Now, some people have it, some people don't. And again, the people that do have it, the ones that typically end up being the success stories. It's good. It sounds like, again, a part of your motivation, like you're saying, to have the freedom that you want. But then when you have a job that you feel like you're not being treated right, it definitely motivates you even faster to get there. Because I mean, that's what happened in my first job or one of my first jobs. I'm like, dude, this guy, I just don't like the way he treats me or whatever. It motivated me way quicker versus just being cordial about him saying, oh, I love my job and hating it or whatever. So I think a lot of us couldn't potentially relate to that, unfortunately. But also when you're selling these products, how much time are you starting to spend in 2015 doing this online stuff versus how many hours you used to work? Yeah. So again, it was probably that like 80-20 where 80% was online in 2014. And then 2015, it started to shift to probably even more like 90-10. So the February, March of 2015. So my wife, throughout this whole process, she's a very good, sustainable job in New York City, working at a law firm. She was like a senior type sort of business development. And she actually got a really good job in Charlotte, North Carolina. So we moved from New York City down to Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where we still live now, four and a half years later. So she had a really good job there, a really good opportunity. We had two small kids. So it's like, it's just not worthwhile to stay in New York City. Just crazy expenses. It's so awesome because everything that I was doing was digital. I'm like, I don't need to be here. I can work anywhere in the world. I can be in rural Michigan if I need to at my parents' house. Like, just give me Wi-Fi and I'm good. So we made that move ironically. And I think this is a really cool story as it relates to the beginning stages of an entrepreneur. So that's March of 2015. Turns out my wife hates the new job, just hates it. How long did it take her to figure that out? About six months. Okay. Yep. So September of 2015, my mom's down sort of watching our kids. We take like a little day trip because we're starting to think that. And I'm like, I'm trying to recruit her. I'm the only person basically running all the business stuff at RP. I'm like, my God, I need help. I just can't keep track of the customer service and all this stuff. So I'm like, I'm desperately trying to recruit her. But at the same time, it's incredibly nerve wracking because she's about to give up a super good job. Benefits, very nice salary, all that stuff. And you have two kids. So the health insurance, right? Yes. So we have two small kids. So again, I'm sure you've had a lot of people that relate to that where you have to eventually make this leap and you have to kind of make this leap of faith. Hindsight's 2020, right? So obviously maybe it wasn't a leap of faith, but at the time it sure as heck felt like it. I remember being super nerve wracking, just, man, I don't know if we should do this. Long story short, she does make the jump. She's been working for RP ever since. It's almost four and a half years ago, but all worked out. But again, it's that idea of having all your eggs in one basket, which is what we had to do. And then it's like, we have no other choice. There is no failure. We will work around the clock to make sure this is successful. And so what is the drive? That was part of the drive. We had no other choice. We had to be successful. So a really interesting story, at least in my mind, people want to think about overnight successes. Guess what? In like 2015, 2016, even into 2017, we never went to bed at night without answering every single email. And I'm not even kidding about that. It was just something that we did. Now, again, that kind of led us to starting to get a little bit burnt out. And then it was like, well, we have to hire in more help. We need more customer service help. We need other outside resources. So that was a very valuable lesson as well, because I'm sure a lot of people relate to that. At some point, you just need to bring in more help. Yeah, it can be a little bit scary, but it's just something you have to do if you really want to scale and get to the next level. 
Yeah, you said you were even getting behind before you asked her to join. And yeah, we've broken down a couple of times the percentages of you working your old job versus your new job. But how many hours a day or week were you putting into this job even before you moved down or while you were in Charlotte, while your wife was contemplating and you were trying to recruit her to get out of that role? Honestly, because I was running our social media from the time I would wake up to the time I would go to bed. Even if I'm at the gym, even if I'm in the middle of training, I have some downtime between an exercise or between a set, hopping on my phone to see if there's any messages or something coming in on social media, or, you know, making sure that I can respond to it pretty quickly. Are you taking your shirt off in the gym and taking pictures or what? Selfies? Not, not really, man. I'm not really that type of person, you know? <laughs> yeah, <I'm> a, <laughs> no, well, dude, there's so many people like that in the fitness space. Like, I know. You don't tell me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm that guy. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not that guy. No. Hey, hey, man, if you got it right, maybe show it off a little bit. You know, sometimes we'll do like dedicated photo shoots and stuff like that. But yeah, for the most part, man, I'm pretty modest about it all. I personally, I like people that even if they are successful, I don't care if you're six figures, seven figures. I don't care if you're a billionaire, right? If you're just a humble person about it, I respect that a lot more than someone that's going to try to brag about it. Yeah. I think most people do. But you're talking about burnout. I don't know if that came a couple of years later. Because are you working from home the whole time? Because I want to get a better idea of what goes into making this successful business. Because if a lot of your stuff's online, I imagine your profit margin had to be huge selling all this stuff too, versus this type of stuff you had to do before. Yeah, totally. That was definitely one of the advantages of what we sold. That's definitely a higher margin product. And so that gave us a lot of options and a lot of flexibility. But yeah, totally working from home. My wife and I both work from home. How was that? Yeah, that's really interesting. So she kind of focuses on what she focuses on. I kind of do what I focus on. So for example, now she mostly does all of our cookbooks and stuff because she basically got a little bit too burnt out from like the customer service stuff. So now we have full-time customer service people that are great. And that's hugely, hugely important. Just remove so much time and hassle what we have to do and we could focus on other things. So yeah, she sort of makes all of our cookbooks now, which very naturally fit in with what we do. So that's been hugely popular. She loves to cook and all that stuff. It's kind of one of those things where we sort of stay in our own lanes and there's not sort of too much crossover just so we're, you know, we're not potentially getting in each other's hair uh, too much. Yeah. Do y'all still both work from home? Yep. So, uh, yeah, because I'm actually pretty curious about it because everyone always thinks it's great, but there's pros and cons, right? I imagine, I don't know if you have to set up your own offices. I want to talk about some of the, maybe not the greatest stuff that you've gone through because again, I think everything's just sound almost perfect in your story so far. If we wanted a spouse to work with us and maybe they're working from home with us too, or just kind of walking through some of those things that maybe most people don't think about when they're getting a spouse to even help them in their business. Yeah. So when we first moved to Charlotte, I honestly had a desk in our bedroom. That's where I work. You know, I'm just like, I don't need a big office. I don't need all this fancy stuff. I have my laptop. I have a little desk where I can make some notes and all that stuff. But really, that's all I needed. And so we had another little area in our house that had a little kind of carved out desk. And my wife had her laptop there and stuff. So we weren't, it's not like we were working in the same exact room, you know, right on top of each other or anything like that. So we each kind of had our own little space. And as things came up, we would chat back and forth. Or, you know, a lot of times if she's downstairs working, I'm upstairs working. Like, we'll just email back and forth. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, stuff like that. What's for lunch? Yeah, 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 for sure. And, you know, usually we would, you know, go and work out together. So yeah, it's one of those things where I think inevitably being around the same person, just literally 24 seven, yeah. you know, it's almost kind of like you have to have a uh, very clear sort of ideas of what each person's going to do. So you're not constantly in the other person's you know, way or you know, stuff like that. And so that's kind of been uh, what's pretty well for us, just focusing on what each one of us does well. I mean, that sounds good. But what are some of the hardest things that you've had to go through in building the business over the last few years? Because again, it sounds like everything's gone up and up <laughs> since you've really started, really. 
Yeah, maybe. I guess we've been a little fortunate. I I don't really like to use the word luck too much because there's a lot of hard work involved. But yeah, man, there's been lots of different pain points, right? Just in terms of figuring out that we needed automation, right? Like when I was having to send everything, just literally taking so much time and effort. I'm the type of person that really I like to do things myself and kind of hate to give up control a little bit. Well, I quickly had to realize that's just not a very successful mindset in being able to delegate things or hire in outside workers because, hey, I know what I'm kind of good at and I also know what I don't have any clue on. And so for me, there's a big mindset shift in being able to hire in outside people or hire actual employees or, you know, hire consultants that are good at, you know, X, Y, and Z because they can focus on email marketing and things like that. I'm not the best copywriter or something like that. So, I mean, that has been a really big hurdle. How do you find all those people? So through Infusionsoft, I went out to Arizona a couple of times and had them like kind of help me set stuff up because again, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So for me, I remember the first call that I had with them. They're like trying to sell me the lower price point things. And I'm like, dude, what else do you have? I need someone to literally do all this for me because I don't have a clue. And so, you know, I flew out to Arizona, spent a couple of days. They helped me build everything. And that's not a cheap investment, right? I mean, we're talking about tens of thousands, if not more. Yeah, it was probably about 10K. Okay. That's smart for you to realize this isn't your thing because it sounds like you're just great at everything right now. Oh, man. (laughs) That's definitely not the case. I mean, because that's what I'm curious. I'm like, how the hell do you do all this stuff between going to the gym and then having things off the bat, killing it with your ebook, and then you're putting together all this automation stuff, but you were smart enough to realize, hey, I need this automation, but I don't know how to freaking do it. So I'll go to Arizona where their headquarters are, and then they'll help me figure it out. Yeah, totally, man. You know, I think another really important part to make there is I focus on my area and my buddy, Mike, he was the one creating all the products. So it's not like I'm sitting here creating all of these products and doing all this other stuff. He's a brilliant mind. Let him focus on what he's good at and I'll take care of the part that I need to take care of. So he did the products and what parts did you take care of? Marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, business type stuff. Then my wife came on, she started helping with the accounting. And yeah, early on, she was definitely like the customer service person as well. I've always kind of been the customer service person along the way. Thankfully, now the last, I don't know, year and a half, two years, I've had to do a lot less of that. Kind of like being involved in that because honestly, for me, I love hearing the feedback and whether that is positive or negative. Yeah, you want to know a really big struggle along the way. You pour your heart and soul into something and then people online just go and shit on it. I thought it was a lot more intimate than I thought it was going to be. Like anyone who's thinking about doing it, you'll be able to to get involved, ask a question, you know, which I don't have a lot of experience with other group calls, but I would assume that there's kind of a hierarchy to it. But this one, if you're in there, you're going to get your shot to ask an expert a question. So I tried to compare my group calls. I started joining random entrepreneur groups and just joining their group calls and try to see what they're like. Dude, the one you were on and all of them have kind of gone that way. They're all 10x better than any other group I've been in because become a member to find out. Becoming a patron was something that I was always like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I was delaying it for whatever reason. And the other day I was like, okay, I'm I'm going to do it. and, uh, And that's it. So I'm very happy with it. Nice. Well, thank you for joining. So was there anything holding you back? It was just uh, taking the time to do it. Gotcha. Well, thank you for taking the time to do it. So um, where are you located? Here in Bolivia, in South America. Cool. 
Well, I think you're our first Patreon member from South America. So thanks for that again. And um, I don't know if you just saw, I just upped the group calls from once a month to twice a month. So I think that's actually where probably you'll get the most value of the membership personally. Doing the group calls, you guys get to actually, you know, ask our past guests questions and I'm just there to facilitate it. So you're looking at the future by coming out with the app and whatnot, but is there anything else that you're looking forward to the future? I guess dealing with fitness and trying to see where your company will go. Cause again, it's smart for you to realize just because the eBooks and the plans that you can kind of print off got you to where you are today and the future, obviously it's not. So what do you think is going to be happening in the future for RP strength? Yeah. Kind of moving everything to apps, everything diet and training related will be in an app. I think that's kind of the longer term picture. What's going to make the most sense because you know, Excel sheets and PDFs are nice, but over time, technology is going to win out and people want stuff that's handier and right there in front of them and kind of does all the thinking for them. What's your day-to-day like now? You've kind of outsourced a lot of this other stuff that maybe was burning you out initially. Yeah, totally. Get up, take my kids to school or whatever in the morning, come home, answer emails and stuff. You know, I'm really heavily involved in our social media as well. So, you know, I'm always kind of helping figure out what stuff to post, responding to messages and stuff. This is literally ongoing throughout the day. I mean, if you want to talk about someone that's on their phone, social media too much, I mean, yes, that's my wife and I. It's just kind of part of it. Yeah, but it's kind of you're part of your business. So it's kind of understandable versus other people are kind of might be at work when that's not part of their work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, this is like very much part of my work. Like, honestly, if someone wanted to ask me what I do, you know, it's kind of a long thing to be like, oh, you know, I'm into like fitness and online because a lot of times people are like, oh, like online fitness, what the heck does that mean? And I'm like, oh, I, I do social media. And then it's like, oh, okay, whatever. So just send them this podcast episode. Hey, there we go, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, just a lot of that. I actually have a home gym. So, you know, go downstairs, get a workout in for an hour, just kind of de-stress a little bit and just kind of get back to it. Actually, more recently, again, this kind of goes back into the idea of if you've ever read uh, Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Effective People, but the idea of sharpening the saw. So obviously fitness is a big part of that, but just kind of making sure I take a little bit more time to just kind of sit down and read and further educate myself. Because I think for so long, I was just working so much in the business that I almost didn't take time to sharpen my own skills and learn more, uh, read all that stuff. So I've definitely taken a big focus on how I can improve that and trying to take more time for that each day. I think all of us go through that, honestly, as entrepreneurs, because I was the same way, like coming out of college, I read all those books, do that. And then I go in years where I'm just grinding in the business and, you know, trying to outsource more, but you don't necessarily feel like you have time to go read a book. But then I feel like I get overburned. I'm starting to burn out. Then I'll go back to reading a little bit more. And I think we all kind of have these waves in life. And I've kind of find myself with that with a podcast now where I'm reaching out, learning a little bit more versus right when I started in that first year and a half, whatever, it's just like head down. I've got to do this. Like I want to have one focus. So. Any tips since you're the fitness guy? You've talked multiple times about de-stressing. I mean, are you going to the gym every day? And I'm sure we can buy one of your training stuff to figure out more. But I mean, just mentally, for me, what I try to do, if I'm not hitting the gym that day, at least go out and get outside for 20 minutes and walk real quick. But any quick fitness tips or whatever to kind of can help you with business as well? Yeah, man, you nailed it. So for most people, if you can train 30 to 60 minutes, several times a week. That's good. Weight training is going to be really, really important because again, it's kind of like doing cardio and strength training all in one. Besides that, I mean, you nailed it, man. If you have a dog, sure, get out and walk your dog. But for me, so again, in Charlotte in like July, you know, it's so hot that obviously during the day, I'm probably not going to go out for a walk because it's like 100 degrees. But whether it's early in the morning or before bed, you know, once the kids go down or whatever, you know, yeah, go walk for 30 minutes, listen to an audio book, just relax. Something that my wife and I like to do is, you know, just 
sit down and kick on Netflix, some type of TV show. Just take some downtime where you're not like super obsessed about getting on your phone and answering emails. Just take a little time each day to just kind of be mellow. That's what I try to find myself doing because I think a lot of us are who listen to the podcast are kind of like those go-getters where you, I have to build in that mellow time kind of or else... I'm going to go crazy. I'm just like, uh, there's always something more to do in the business, right? So again, just taking those times to, I don't bring my phone to the gym or anything because that way I'm like, I don't want any technology around me for this one hour. I understand again, but you have to bring it or whatever, but I already have it around me 24 seven other than that. So no, Hey man, I certainly could. It's just one of those things that's just been so ingrained in me. It's one of those things, if I had an area to improve, and this is probably something that I'll start to look forward to a little bit more, get some more people to help us run our social media and respond to all that stuff. But yeah, just being able to set the phone down for an hour or two and just don't worry about it. So yeah, Nick, we appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your experiences. Obviously, you're still a younger guy, so we look forward to the growth of your company going forward. If someone wanted to reach out and say thank you for doing the interview or wanted to connect with you, what's the best way? Yeah, www.rpstrength.com. That's our website. You can search the RP Diet app in the App Store. That's an Apple and Google. It's available on both. And then probably on Instagram, RP Strength. That's our handle. That's how most people know about us. And would love some feedback on the interview or connect with some other people that might have a similar story or you know have questions or anything like that. All right, Nick. Well, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. Well, I'd been kind of listening for a while. I did listen to your first Patreon call, and um, there's a couple guys in there that for what they did or what they were doing, it kind of intrigued me. And um, then I've heard a couple of the commercials or whatever that so-and-so was going to be on there. Clicked on your new episode the other day, and I'm like, you know what? I'm here. I got to do this. So why don't you do it too? Join right now. Just go to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon.